Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Just a quick note before we get to this week's show, and that is that I am running a listener survey all through the month of October. It has just 10 questions. It doesn't ask for any personal information. It's completely anonymous, and it will really help me to improve the show. It just asks some basic questions about your experience with the jazz session. So whether this is your first show or uh, what would be the maximum number possible, your 97th show, uh, I would really appreciate it if you'd take just a few minutes, which is all it does take, and fill out the survey. To find it, just go to thejazzsession.com slash survey, thejazzsession.com slash survey. And if you uh, are in your car or whatever and you can't remember that right now, when you get home, you can just visit thejazzsession.com and you'll see a link to the survey along the left-hand side of the page. So thanks very much. Please do take a minute to do that. The responses so far have been really helpful and uh, eye-opening, and I hope that you'll take a second and add your voice to the list. Thanks. Today's guest is saxophonist Darius Jones from his album Manish Boy. This is Chasing the Ghost.
My guest is saxophonist Darius Jones. Uh, he and his trio, his amazing trio, uh, have just put out a new record called Manish Boy, a raw and beautiful thing. It's on the Om Fidelity label, and uh, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Darius Jones to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, off off the tape, I just uh, you know finished telling you how much I, I love this record, and it really sounds to me... Uh, like it comes from a very deep place, like it was a record that had to be made. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the kind of the inspiration for the record and where it comes from? Uh, well, I mean, man, the record really is, um, it, it was truly a labor of love. It's a very personal record um, about myself uh, growing up in uh, the South and, you know, my family's struggles and how just struggling to become a musician at all um, and how that process was like really raw and at the same time full of love and like all these things that we want to believe in in life it just was one of those things that is so personal and I wanted to have I wanted to make a record that really spoke about my life and um, especially the first record that you know that I made I wanted it to definitely have this sort of quality that was um, made people want to listen to it and understand it. Like, whoa, this is like someone really trying to tell us a story. Yeah, I'd be interested in knowing more of the story. You mentioned that it was challenging just to get to be a musician at all. Can you talk more about that? Well, <laughs> well, uh, my my first. I mean, when I first grew up, I and mean, we didn't where I grew up in, in Virginia. We didn't know uh, anything about jazz music, like my parents and all that. They didn't know about jazz music. I had never heard jazz music growing up as a kid. But my uncle, he played the saxophone, and he uh, listened to people like uh, Grover Washington Jr. and um, some David Sanborn and... A lot. I mean, he. I mean, these are the saxophone players that he listened to. He he was more into this kind of uh, beef thing, um, but he was really into gospel music, playing gospel music. And um, how I grew up, I grew up with my uh, my mother was a single mother, and so we spent a lot of time in my grandfather's farm in Chesapeake, and uh, and they didn't have any CDs or anything and my uncle lived with them and out of his room was always this like music that was just blaring and it was like the hippest like gospel music that was out um, you know like he would be listening to like Parliament and uh, Funkadelic and stuff like that and so and practicing just practicing and um, he wasn't really that educated I mean he was uh kind of just playing the saxophone by ear, um, a lot of what he was doing. And so uh, it came time for me to get a saxophone because I was so inspired. I used to sit outside of this door, listen to him practice and everything, and then I got a saxophone. And there was nowhere to really play. I mean, it's like we, we play, I played in church, basically, and I played in, like, the school band, but I, I was playing in church from, like, I, I think I could only play, like, two notes. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, just come up here and play, you know. And, you know, you just sit up there and improvise with the, the people and stuff like that. Um, but my parents, 
uh, my mom being a single mother and everything like that, um, it was very difficult. You know, I had a very cheap horn. Um, I didn't really uh, have, like, formal training, like, real training other than the school system. And, and a lot of times, my horn would be, like, completely, would go, like, years without repair. My uncle, being with us being the country bumpkins that we were, we, we would, like, we would make shift repairs. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it was just, like, it was kind of funny. It's like, you know, it's, it's funny when I see people in the subway where, you know, rubber bands and all that stuff. I was kind of, like, starting out that way. <laughs> just the horn was just looking pretty rough. And, uh... And my uncle kind of kept up with that that concept for years, actually. It was just like I took a lot of his advice on that. And then I got into high school, and, I, you know, that whole time I was very serious about this, obviously. And I, I went to take lessons. And this, I, this is the first time I ever take, took lessons, and I was taking a few lessons, and then my mom couldn't afford them anymore. And I was getting, I was growing from these lessons, and I was really hurt. And so I made a deal with the guy, the guy that was giving me lessons, that I would, like, get a job and somehow pay him, you know. And he put me on, like, a little payment plan, and um, and I would walk, like, miles to take lessons from him for a long time. That, that, that happened for a very long time. And I remember there was a family that owned a repair shop that would repair my horn, um, and let me pay them at a later date. And I, I'm so thankful, you know. Um, there were so many people that just really believed in me and uh, and really took uh, chances on me. So, I mean, that this record is, is, uh, is, is all those things, you know, just like wrapped up in it. Yeah, it's funny thinking about it now. What was it about, you know, playing the saxophone or or music in general that was that important? I mean, that's how, that's like life or death important. That's not just like something you like to do. Growing up, 
we were pretty rough. I mean, you know, when I was five years old, I saw my dad hit my mom. You know, they were young when they got married and stuff, so, you know, how that is. And, uh, and it was just tumultuous. I mean, it was like we had a lot of problems. I mean, there was a lot of, like, hardship in the house financially. I lived in a trailer for years. I mean, we lived in the trailer to the point where my feet were touching the other, like, I, the other side of the wall when I would sleep. <laughs> so, my mom was like, I mean, she was struggling. She was really struggling. She had to put herself back through school. It was, it was bad. And I had to have some sort of outlet, man. I mean, it's like, to, uh, to express myself and express what's going on. Plus, I always had affinity for sound and like, you know, I would sing a lot. And we'd go to church and so I would sing and my sister sang, granddaddy sang, everybody was singing, playing something, beating on something. I mean, it was really like, it wasn't like the most, you know, they say, you know, make a joyful noise. It was joyful, but it was definitely noise. <laughs> like, just like, just make it at the time, you know. And it was great. I, I, and I, I, I love that, you know. I mean, it was great. You know, a lot of times it gave me a lot of comfort playing the saxophone, you know. Um, it was a place to escape and to put a lot of uh, emotions and things into that. When did it begin to seem possible to you that this is something you could actually do as your living? I think <laughs> as my living. <laughs> yeah, funny. I understand the reality of that, <laughs> of what that probably means. Uh, well, you know, when I was in high school, uh, this is this is actually really funny. Uh, my first saxophone, I, I took a couple of lessons from Chad Hugo, who is a uh, the other half of the Neptunes, and uh, wow, yeah, it's really funny. He was an amazing saxophone player, actually. And when I was growing up, I, I, he was like really amazing. And I took a couple of lessons from him. He was so encouraging, and everyone was so encouraging. And I was getting, you know, I was getting good and stuff as well. And so I made a decision in high school. I was like, you know, no matter what, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to make this happen. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I remember this moment when I went to church and I prayed to God. And I asked him, I said, uh, show me the path I should walk. 
you know, I mean, just door after door kept opening for me in this way, and I just fit, you know. It's amazing. It really was. What uh, What happened after high school? Uh, well, I went to Norfolk State. I got a scholarship to Norfolk State University and I uh, met this amazing trumpet player, uh, Tim Zachary there. Um, he was from Louisiana. He knew people at the Wynn, you know, the Marcelluses and stuff like that. And he kind of took me under his wing. I'll never forget the first thing he ever said to me. He was like, you know, he was like, what is your purpose for being here at this university? And I was like, well, I want to be the greatest saxophone player at this school. And he was like, what if, what if you accomplish that, like, tomorrow? What are you going to do next? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't know. And he was like, well, the key is to be better than yourself every day. You know, and, that, and that's like musically and as a, as a, as a human being. So, I mean, he, he was really kind of, you know, and I did that. And then I left NSU and I went to Eugene Commonwealth University and that just completely blew my mind open. I mean, because that school, uh, after I was there for a while, I realized like people like Steve Wilson, James Sheenis, Clarence Penn, I mean, Sam Newsom, a ton of cats. Ellis Marcellus used to teach there. So many cats came through there. And also, um, uh, the staff, the, the, the faculty that was there at the time that I went, uh, these, these two particular cats, um, Howard Curtis and Doug Richards. Doug Richards is like, uh, is a foreknown scholar on Ellington, on Duke Ellington, and Howard Curtis played with Andrew White, who is like this uh, DC. I mean, he's like more than this, but it's like he's like a expert on John Goldrain. So I, I ended up like being kind of taught and tutored by those guys which really took it to a whole other level. You know, I, I was, like, really struggling uh, when I was in Richmond, you know, because it, it I had to leave home, and I didn't really have much of anything when I left home. I, I, you know, my mom, didn't really, she was scared for me to leave because, you know, it's kind of like that Sam Cooke song where you, you had nothing to depend on. You can't go to your mama because your mama can't help you, you know what I'm saying? But everything is going to be all right, you know. I, I went to Richmond. I had like three hundred dollars in my pocket, and you know, I just made it. I made it happen, man. You know, studied and worked real hard, and learned a lot from those guys, man. I mean, Richmond was like my stomping ground, you know. Like I really experimented, learned a lot of things, and met a lot of great musicians. I mean, actually, I met some musicians that in New York while I was in Richmond. Like, people like Andrew D'Angelo, Trevor Dunn, Jim Black. Uh, I met those cats while I was, uh, actually, Matt Wilson. At some point, it sounds like your um, your ears were kind of opened to a, a pretty wide spectrum of music. I mean, uh, Manish Boy really contains... <laughs> it contains multitudes, as Walt Whitman probably would have said. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's got some of everything in there, and 
one thing that it really has is a lot of kind of daring and um, uh, you know willingness to just go wherever the music goes. Uh, was there was there a particular person or set of gigs or a class or something that that kind of caused you to say you know there aren't really any boundaries I can just go wherever this music takes me. Oh man, so a lot of this is is the is Richmond man, me being in Richmond and, and really being open and listening to a lot of music. No, see the thing is, no one put for me. I feel very fortunate that this happened. Uh, no one said this is good and this is bad to me. You know, I made those decisions myself. You know, no one said like you shouldn't listen to this and you should listen to this or you should listen to this first and then you should listen to this. Nobody did that to me. Uh, the majority of the time what happened to me was like, you know, you should check this out. Or I would be like, yo, I'm checking this out. And then someone would be like, well, if you're into that, you should check this out. Then there were cats like Howard Curtis who would hit me to certain things like the ACM and Julius Hemphill and stuff like that. And Doug was always, Doug Richards was always hitting me to, you know, all this like old school shit like Basie and like, you know, Duke Ellington and, you know, just, you know, a lot of Louis Armstrong. And then, you know, just being young, man, I mean, it's just like listening to music. I mean, being around your peers and stuff like that. Plus, being in church. Growing up in the church, like, you may be like, oh, you know, starting out with Amazing Grace, like, Amazing Grace, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Amazing Grace can just be like, Ooh! I mean, it just can turn into, like, the most out <laughs> excursion you've ever experienced in your life. <laughs> I mean, some of the greatest improvisers are in, in churches, dude. For me, I wouldn't say it was a class. I would say it was church, and I never forgot that experience. And, I mean, this record is definitely dealing with that. I mean, it's dealing with that experience of, like, really giving myself over to that. At, uh, at a certain point in my life. And, uh, but it's kind of, you know, I can kind of see what you're saying because it's like, at the same time, the record has this, like, so I could I could go there, but I could just so, just do a song, you know, sing a song. And, I mean, that's the South. I feel that's just so Southern to be that way. You know, to be just so many things. I completely hear you. I mean, this this record goes from like uh, I mean, there are kind of these these tender and and written moments like like meekness has um, you know just some really you know just gorgeous gorgeous playing, and then there's the stuff like um, chasing the ghost, you know, where you get about five or six minutes into that, and the you know amplified diddly bow is going, and I, I mean it, it is just like as primal as music gets to me, and so. I've, I'm continually surprised by listening to the record and I've listened to it a lot of times now and there's just always there's always some new thing in there and it's I, my guess is that part of that is that you were very careful about who you got to be on this record with you um, will you will you talk about your bandmates on this album Thank you. 
I I knew Bob Moses. I've known Bob Moses for like um, I think over eight years now. Met him in Richmond. Another person I met there. He came down to do some master classes at uh, UVA, and he did a show. And I, and I met him after that, and we became, became friends and stayed in touch. And then Cooper Moore I met here in New York City on uh, one night. And then I ended up being in his band. He ended up putting having me in his band, and I, I played with him for a while. Um, when I was approached by Own Fidelity, you know, uh, to be to do a record, I, I knew I wanted to do something with the trio format. And then I, you know, I, I was like, you know, what do I want to say? That was very important to me to say the right, you know, say what I want to say. And I felt like the only way I would really do that is to get uh, these two gentlemen on the record and also get two gentlemen that are way older than me uh, because of just my, uh, the way I grew up and in the sense that, you know, enormous amount of, like, respect for elders and uh, for that, like, what that means over time. And they wouldn't, and also it's like, I would be able to go as far as I possibly there would be no limits to what I could do with them and I knew that from my, my experience of playing with them I mean Bob is just he's in the 60s and he's playing better than he's ever played I mean he, he sounds like I mean it's, it, first of all let's just talk about his sound for a second I mean the sound of his drums like if you if you just took out us on the record and just listened to his drums, I mean, it's deep. Like rhythmically, sonically, I mean, and he's a listener. You know, he's there. He's gonna be there with you no matter where you go. He's gonna be right there. And also Cooper Moore is a listener as well, but also Cooper Moore is from Virginia. And he understands the church. He grew up playing that in the church as well. And, I mean, he plays piano and diddly bow, which is like a southern instrument in and of itself in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, and both of these guys are just like amazing improvisers. Plus, they uh, have played other musics throughout their career. You know, I mean, many people know about Bob's history, but... Uh, Moore was like a classical piano player when he first, when he was in the university back in the day. I mean, he was like a concert pianist and stuff like that. People don't know that. I mean, it's like, I mean, he can play jazz, he can play all that stuff. I mean, he is, he can read anything. I mean, the fact that he can like, the stuff that he's doing on Dilly Bo on my record is amazing because he can, I mean, that stuff is like, he's playing one string instrument and he's like, he's like, picking out the notes and like it's right on um so I mean I couldn't ask for like a, a better band and also a band that I can constantly learn from which is really important to me because I play you know with a lot of a lot of young cats you know my age so I really wanted to have a band where I was kind of going through the tradition of uh playing with my elders yeah, Steve, I think it was Steve Lacey who said his own philosophy was make sure you're always the worst person in the band. You know, yeah, by, man. You know which wasn't a reflection on, on him or, in this case, on you, but just you know, surround yourself with people who are going to cause you to excel. 
they will not let me play some crap. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get away with playing crap against, you know, Gubavar Baba. It just sounds so bad. (laughs) Like, like, like my hip meter has to be really high. (laughs) It's like, it has to be up there with those dudes. Because they're just listening to everything I play, and they'll throw it back at me, too. If you listen to that record, you you can hear the depth of, like, interplay with us is is amazing. Um, the the intense sense of the interplay that's happening. Is it the case that I think I read somewhere that they had never been on a record before together? No, this is the first. I mean, that's another reason I, I chose to do it too because I mean they don't they didn't even know each other before this record. The, the, I mean, literally, we did like I think two or three gigs before we went into the studio. They really had to, you know, they got to know each other and stuff like that. But they, I mean, two more and Bob Moses come from two different worlds, you know. I mean, but the similar, similar world. I think Bob's very spiritual. And uh, and they come from a similar time in this music. So, I mean, they have a lot of things um, that are connected cosmically and stuff like that. So it's really... For me, I, I I knew it would be like an amazing energy. Plus, they're, I don't know. I mean, come on, man. I mean, these guys are in their sixty. They sound like they're just like so fresh. I mean, it's like they sound so hip, um, and they're so strong. I mean, I admire them. I admire them on many levels. It's like I really admire both of these gentlemen so much. That's Darius Jones from his album Manish Boy on Ohm Fidelity. 
You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This show is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. Please do take a minute to visit TheJazzSession.com slash survey. That's thejazzsession.com slash survey, and fill out the 10-question uh, online survey. It's completely anonymous, uh, won't take very much of your time, and it will be a great help to me. Thanks. This show has an email mailing list and a Facebook group. You can sign up uh, for the mailing list at thejazzsession.com, and if you're on Facebook, just type The Jazz Session into the search box on Facebook, and you'll find the group for the show. It's very easy to join, and either of those um, ways will get you regular weekly updates on what's happening on the show and the chance to win free music. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet. They are online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. This program is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative works, 3.0 United States license. Thanks so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.